0: to the tomb of Jesus. The stone was moved and he had gone away. The angel said,
1: Fear not, I know whom seek ye.
0: But he is risen, this she heard him say. rolled back. And gone. The tomb is empty. Gone. To sit at the Father's side. wait too late to pray. Don't wait until his bride has been completed. No, don't wait until you hear him say it's too late. Gone the stone
1: That's a good old song, isn't it? That's been around a while, but we haven't sang it much, and, well, I just came across it a little bit ago, and Brother Josh said, let's try this, and, well, I like that song. I like that song a lot. I made some visits on some folks that are in the last days of their life yesterday, and I said, okay, can I practice this on you? And they were like, yeah. So I got some practice yesterday, it's amazing what you can do in the ministry, and You know, you think, well, oh, he just wants to sing that song in front of people. Not at all. Man, I'll tell you what, that song right there means a lot to somebody that's waiting to enter the kingdom, that's preparing and readying themselves. Man, what an encouragement that song is. It's a blessing. So anything you learn and anything you do on behalf of Christ, do it everywhere you go. Always lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 8, please. Matthew chapter 8 today. Beginning in verse 1, we talk about this being a Memorial Day emphasis, and excuse me, take that back, Veterans Day emphasis, and uh, we're going to talk about a soldier today. We're going to talk about a soldier. Matthew chapter 8, before we talk about him, though, we're going to kind of try to put the the chapter in context a little bit and then move along. We begin reading in Matthew chapter 8, and the Bible simply says, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And Behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. By the way, I believe if you look up the word worship and you consider what was taking place here, what it's implying is that the leper bowed before Jesus. That's what it means when it said he worshiped him. He literally humbled himself before the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't just that he went, oh God, you're so wonderful. No, that's not what it's implying. It's implying that he fell on his face before God. And Jesus is God. The Bible says, and behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. See, the Sermon on the Mount was over now. The crowd had dispersed and people sat in awe of the teaching that they had heard. Everybody was trying to wrap their minds around the message and the authority by which it was spoken. I'm sure there were questions that arose. Things like who could he be? This man was such a revolutionary message of love who could he be could he indeed be the promised king of israel i'm sure questions like that arose after hearing him speak with such authority and power john the baptist had preached that jesus indeed was the promised one and yet if he was the king where was his power I mean, let's face it, his message was wonderful and his words were all well and good, but as beautiful and as wonderful as they were, Israel didn't need just someone to speak a message. They needed somebody that didn't just speak with authority even. They needed somebody who acted with power. I mean, they were being ruled by Rome. They needed somebody to deliver them. Doubts remained in the minds of the Jews. And so Matthew brought together in this particular section of the gospel a, a series of mighty miracles that were performed by the Lord Jesus Christ, visible, unmistakable evidences of his kingly power. Jesus would cleanse the leper. I'll tell you what, that was something amazing already. This man's disease pointed basically to the ravages of sin in the lives of humanity. The leper was an outcast. That disease began small and it ultimately continued to grow until it completely ostracized him from literally his community, from both man and God. He wasn't even permitted in the temple, nor was he allowed to go toward the altar. His fate was one of isolation, one of hopelessness. Again, leprosy symbolized the hold that sin has on our lives. And you know, you think about Jesus Christ, and you think about how he promoted the highest, the most holy, the most heavenly kind of life. I mean, how could, what could Jesus do for this leper? This leper who represented everything that, we, that, that the Israelites stood against. I mean, it represented sin. It represented isolation and separation. Could Jesus even deal with him? Could Jesus even have any part to do with him at all? He didn't need just the teachings that Jesus had. He needed cleansing, and he knew it. Power. Power. Jesus had power, all right. He had such power that he left his critics scratching their heads. The leper was cleansed for all to see something that was miraculous, something that didn't just happen. There was no answer for it in medical science at that time. They had no way to treat it, and yet Jesus cured it. Power. We know that in that same chapter, chapter 8 of the book of Matthew, Jesus would go on to demonstrate his authority and power before the people by healing the centurion servant from a distance, raising up Peter's mother-in-law, by crying out, peace, be still, and calming the storm, and finally casting out demons even. One may argue, well, if Jesus was the king, he didn't overthrow the power of Rome. No, but instead he overthrew the host of hell. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I want to pick up with verse five now. So let's direct our attention there because that's where we want to focus. But he displayed his power over disease by healing the leper. And now we're going to see him displaying his power over distance. See, the Lord... He is not limited like you and I. Space and time have no rule over him. He doesn't need to be physically present to accomplish his purpose or to exert his influence and power on our lives. And boy, we see that here in the passage in chapter 8. That truth should encourage us. That truth should move us and motivate us to point our, our, our eyes toward him. Distance means nothing to him. And we learned that in this passage. Again, in this particular portion of the chapter, we learn about another kind of outcast. Of course, we had the leper already, but this outcast is the Gentile. See, the Jew wanted nothing at all to do with the Gentile, wanted nothing to do with their politics, wanted nothing to do with them socially or religiously. The Jew wanted nothing at all to do with the Gentile. The leper was outside the camp. The Gentile was outside the covenant. Thankfully, the Lord responded to both of them. We meet the Roman in Capernaum. That's where the Lord was staying. And the centurion, he was a commander of a hundred men. Thus, centurion. One hundred men. It was one-sixth of a legion. excuse me, 160th of a legion. He was the officer that was in charge, uh, uh, likely a a Roman military detachment that was quartered there in that area. I got to believe that this centurion probably likely had even heard the Sermon on the Mount. But we notice something about the passage. Notice in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, we see the desperation of this particular centurion, this Roman soldier. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. He was so desperate. Notice the determination of the Lord Jesus in verse 7. He goes on to say, and Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. I'm sure those were wonderful words to the centurion. I'm sure that he was extremely pleased to hear the news. But I also want you to note the resignation in his voice and in his response, this centurion. He says in verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. Wow. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy. You needn't come under my roof. And that declaration, we already began it, but he says, listen, I'm a a man in authority. I'm I'm under authority. Notice he says, for I'm a man under authority. Not only did he give orders, but he had to take orders. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 11, and I say that many shall come, Jesus says, and many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see this declaration that Hey, Jesus is coming to my house? No, you don't need to come to my house. I know what it is to give orders. I know what it is to take orders. You just simply give the word, Jesus. You just simply say it. And Jesus finally responds in verse 13 by saying, unto the centurion, go thy way as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Man, I mean to tell you, there's an amazing story here that we are reading about, that we are recognizing here in the passage. A centurion, a Roman of all things, a soldier, the very ones who were putting the Jew under lock and key, if you will. And Jesus reaches out and says, I'll go to your house. I mean, he comes beseeching him. He's crying out, and Jesus says, okay, I'll come. Oh, I'm not worthy of you to even step into my house. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's amazing. And then, of course, the Lord is amazed by his faith, and he ends up healing his servant. So I'm going to share a few thoughts with you, and then I'm going to give you the message, okay? Okay. So before we do that, let's have a word of prayer as we've set the stage now, and let's go ahead and see what we can learn from the passage. Father, we come to you, we ask, Lord, for your leadership, we ask, Lord, that you would guide us, may your Holy Spirit walk these aisles and literally take the word of God and plant it deep in our hearts, and may you put a hedge about us that the devil will not come and steal away the seed that you've planted. Father, we ask, Lord, for your love today and for your leadership, that, Father, everything that we receive... uh, uh, that, that we hear will take root in our life, that we might be what you would have us to be, that we would recognize you as the authority that you ought to be in our lives. We love you, we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So, first of all, some thoughts. Here's the first one soldiers need the master. Soldiers need the master. Do you know a soldier is used to taking orders? At least that's how it used to be, for sure. I don't know what it's like now. I've been out of the military for a few years. But I know when I was there, you learned to take orders. You were conditioned to take orders. You were trained to respond and to react to the commands of your superiors. We used to call them superiors. I don't know if they do that anymore. That's so offensive. Heaven forbid somebody be over me. Right? Again, authority. What a problem authority has become to most people in the world today. But this man had no problem with authority, and on the other hand, he too was an authority. He had a hundred men under him, so to speak, that he directed and guided, and he gave commands to. But then, on the other hand, he had to submit to his superiors or higher ups. But when it all came down to it, although he was over a hundred men, he still saw the need to seek the master. Can you imagine if every soldier set their own schedule? Defined their own duties, followed their own orders? You know what that would create? Confusion, chaos, wouldn't it? Because see, even the highest ranking soldier is subject to authority and accountability. Soldiers need a master too. Soldiers need a master. And they need the master. Number two, soldiers must believe. Soldiers must believe. Now, that centurion must have really loved his servant. Now, maybe he had served him and his family for years. Maybe the servant had saved his life in battle. I'm not sure exactly how he found his way into the heart of this centurion soldier. I, I'm not sure how he did that. But either way, he finds himself in a very hopeless situation. Here the centurion is now seeing this hopeless situation, and he says, I've got to do something about it. I've got to find a way. He's so desperate now that he approaches Jesus. Jesus, who was really a very controversial personality in that day. But his servant's life was on the line, and so to Jesus he turns. The centurion had obviously heard about Jesus, As we mentioned, he may have even been at the Sermon of the Mount. He possibly had heard or seen a miracle that Jesus had done, but one way or the other, he knew that Jesus was the answer to his problem. He believed. The soldier had great faith, and the soldier did believe. As a matter of fact, he says, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed I know that it's, it's the Roman government. I know it's the Roman soldiers that seem to be putting you and your people under lock and key, but oh, please just speak the word. Just simply say you'll do it. I don't want to lose him. He's so desperately sick. I got to believe that he was beyond any help or hope of doctors in that day. Why would he have gone to Jesus? Jesus marveled at the faith and the belief of this man. He said, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Even among my own people, I've never seen, I've not seen faith like that. I've not seen belief like that. I, I offered to go to his house. I offered to literally take the journey. I, I offered to meet the, 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 the servant face to face, but he said, You don't need to do that. You just simply need to speak. Wow, I've, I'll be honest with you, Jesus says. I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. See, soldiers needed the master. Soldiers must believe. Number three, soldiers must be humble. Again, upon hearing his passionate plea for the healing of a servant, Jesus agrees to go and heal him. But again, here we have the centurion which demonstrates his, his humility. He literally says to the Lord, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. I'm not even worthy of that. How can I ask you to come to my home That sounds like a pretty humble man to me. And yet he's a centurion. And yet he is a Roman soldier that commands a hundred men. And yet here we see him humbling himself before the master. Do you realize that a Roman soldier, not even a centurion, just a soldier could compel a Jew to carry his pack and supplies? One mile for no other reason than he just wants him to. Do you realize that? I mean, they could be out on the the street somewhere, and they might be marching along and carrying some weight, and they think to themselves, I don't want to carry this. Hey, you, get over here. Well, I'm kind of busy right now. You didn't make that excuse to a Roman soldier in those days. He could have just ran you through with a sword. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? Carry that. And by law, he was required to carry it a mile. And yet here we have a centurion. a Roman over 100 men, giving orders. And yet he humbled himself before a Jew, Jesus. Hmm. Don't you know who I am? How dare you ask me to carry your pack for a mile? Oh, let me remind you who you are. You are a Jew, and under the authority of Roman law, have a good day, dead sir. But when it came to Jesus, he humbled himself. See, soldiers need the master. Soldiers must believe. Soldiers must be humble. Now here it is. It's not the message yet, but it's going to set the tone for it. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you've received and accepted Him as your Savior at some point, you cried out to Him begging His mercy and forgiveness because of your sin, and you received Him into your life as Savior, then my friend, according to the Word of God, you're a soldier of the King. You're a soldier of the King. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Let's just note a couple passages that allude to this reality and truth in the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Notice what the Bible says there. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Again, he's talking to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he's represented, and he's, he's speaking to, I should say, uh, to Timothy and, and to uh, this pastor at Ephesus and saying, now remind yourself, you are a soldier. Remind your people, they are soldiers. And you're going to endure some hardness, even as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That no man, he says, no man that warth and himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for mastery, yet... If he not, uh, if he, uh, if yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The implication then is that believers are soldiers. It's pretty clear. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 points to the fact that we have an adversary. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Adversary, the enemy, if you will. Ephesians chapter ten, 6, turn there, please. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Not only do we recognize the fact that we are referred to and spoken of as being soldiers in Scripture, we are told that we have an adversary as well. And then it tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that there is some armor that you and I must put on because we are literally in a battle, a spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, finally my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Obviously, very clearly, the Bible's pointing to you and I as believers as soldiers. Now, wait a second. If that's the case then, I thought we said that, here's the message. As soldiers, you need the master. As a soldier, you need the master. Let me ask you a couple questions. Who is your master? Who is your master? I want you to think about that. I said a couple questions. Let's stop with one right now. Who is your master? Let me make a statement now that might help you to define who your master is. You can tell who your master is By who is giving the orders in your life? Who is giving the orders in your life? Whoever's giving the orders is your master. Think about that for a minute. Who is directing you? Who is giving you the orders in your life? If you make the decisions, you plot your own course, you solve your own problems... Then guess what? You've made yourself master. By the way, making self master means that you've fallen for Satan's trap. Satan is extremely content to let you believe somehow that you are really in charge when you are really not. He wants you to believe you're in charge, he wants you to believe you got the handle on things. A soldier, as a soldier, you need the master. See, Jesus acknowledges his authority as master. Over in the book of John chapter 13, verse 13, the Bible says, ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. Jesus is not backing down. He's not stepping out of the scene or out of the picture. No, as a matter of fact, he says, you know what? You call me master, you're right on target because I am your master. We think about a master and we've made it such a negative, critical thing today in our culture, but my friend, there's nothing wrong with biblical authority in our lives. And the fact is today is that he says to you, to, 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 to you and I, he says, you're correct. You call me master, you ought to because I am. And who better to be our master than the creator God himself? The one who literally laid his life down on Calvary, shed his precious perfect blood, was buried and rose again the third day. Who better to be my master? Who better to care for me? Jesus acknowledged his authority and as master. The disciples called him Master. Even in those days, John four thirty one. In the meantime, while his disciples prayed him, saying, "Master, eat." <laughs> master, you got to eat something. Master, you have to take care of this. Master, you have to look, think about yourself a little bit. Master, don't wilt away to nothing. Oh, master, just eat something. Why were they calling him master? Because he was. Mary called him master, in John chapter twenty verse sixteen. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him. Rabboni, which is saying master. She comes to that tomb and she, oh, 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 Jesus, oh. And he goes, Mary, master. Who's your master? Is it you? Because really, if it's you, it's you're deceiving yourselves. There's only two gods in this world. There's big G God and there's little G God. The Bible says that the God of this world, meaning the God of this world system, either we are obeying him as our master, technically we are obeying him as our master. It's only one or the other. Now, he convinces us it's us. Taking the bull by the horns, I'm going to handle life. I'm going to deal with problems. It's my responsibility. I dug this hole. I'll get back out. Boy, I tell you what, I like that. I think it's good that we recognize responsibility. However, remember, when it comes to taking orders, it should not be you giving them. Number two, see a soldier. As a soldier, you need the master. When do you call him master? As a soldier, you need the master. Number two, as a soldier, you must believe. I must believe. Turn to Hebrews eleven six. 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. This verse was in our Sunday school lesson today. Your teacher may not have used it because it was part of a number of verses that were given to us to share. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We've been talking about heroes of the faith the last two weeks. We've got two more weeks of that study. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Notice it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You know, it's interesting. We're told in the Scriptures that we're not to walk by sight you know, things we see. We're not to make decisions based on how things appear. We're to make our decisions based on faith. Wow. When's the last time you prayed about the stock you'll buy? Literally said, Lord, should I buy it or not? How much should I invest into my 401k? You ever think about things like that? Do you ever consider who's the master? Who's making the decisions? As a soldier, we must believe, though, because we can't please the master if we're not walking by faith or living in in faith and belief. Because for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, again, soldiers must believe. Soldiers face all kinds of difficult situations and decisions. They place their safety and well-being into the hands of someone higher than themselves. And and when I was in the military, we called them higher-ups. Well, the higher-ups have sent down a directive or an order. And those higher-ups make a number of decisions that place the foot soldier in harm's way. I mean, think about somebody telling you, you get to go take that pillbox, or you get to go take, when I say pillbox, I'm not talking about the kind that you... No. We're talking about one where there's a machine gun sticking out the window and you're down here and it's up there and they say you and you go take that machine gun bring him down we've got directives, we've got orders from above my commander told me to take that hill and I'm telling you to go do it oh oh, you ain't telling me what to do that's stupid that doesn't make any sense at all Do you know someone could get hurt doing that? (laughs) Of course they could. But a soldier has to believe something. He's got to believe that his part or her part is vital to the completion of the whole mission. That they are only one small piece of the puzzle. See, for the believer... When it's all said and done, the issue isn't, can I trust my leaders, but can I trust my master? Who's your master? Who's your master again? It always goes back to that. If your master is anyone but Jesus Christ, then you have a trust issue because you can't trust man to do right. And can I tell you this? You can't trust yourself to do right. We're in trouble if we don't trust the master. The centurion, he believed that Jesus could meet all his needs and the needs of others. He acknowledged and recognized that Christ was the only solution and the only answer. He believed. See, as soldiers, you need the master. As soldiers, you must believe. As soldiers, you must be humble. We got to be humble. See, again, taking orders is a way of life if you're a good soldier. That's what you do. I mean, we talk about these people that gave their lives so many years in, for so many years in the military. I mean, if they had choices, I bet you many of them would have said, no, that's okay, let somebody else do that job. But they didn't. They believed that there was somebody up up higher above, that knew what was really going on, that saw the big picture and recognized and understood there was something greater at stake than simply my life, my comfort, my family. And they said, I'm going to trust and believe, and I'm going to humble myself to their authority. I'm going to do what I'm told, even when when it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not worthy to make the decisions. I'm just a private. We'll let the higher-ups do that. That's above my pay grade, as a soldier may say. And a good soldier has to be humble and take those orders, and they become good at taking orders. And like the centurion, I wonder, do you recognize Christ's superiority in your life? his authority, and his power in your life? I mean, is it, are, are you offended that he has the right to tell you what to do and when to do it? Does that bother you? I think in the world we live in, we're being taught consistently and continually that no one has a right to tell us what to do. I'm telling you, in Christianity, we better be very careful because we have a God who has the right to tell us what to do because he is indeed the master, and he does have a bigger picture at stake. There's more involved than me, And the truth is, is that I've got to humble myself before him. And so do you. Because see, a soldier, as a soldier, you need the master. You need a master, the master, Jesus Christ. As a soldier, you must believe. As a soldier, you must be humble. The Bible says, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. I wonder, are you quick to defer judgment? Direction and decision to him. You say, well, how do I know what to do? Here it is. He left his word on purpose. This is the authority. It's not you and it's not me. It's him. And let me tell you something. You are never, ever, ever going to be perfect at it. And neither am I. But God sure wants to see us making a real, real good effort at it. His word is here, and we've got to either submit to it, yield to it, recognize it as authority, and defer judgment, direction, and decision to Him. That's what the Word of God's about. That's what the Bible's all about. And again, submitting to that means we have to humble ourselves. Again, He says, In Matthew 23, 12, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. In James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So here we come to the conclusion. I wonder, will you cry out to your master? Will you recognize him and acknowledge him as master and then cry out to him like the centurion did? We are all soldiers, so we must recognize him as master, acknowledge him as master, because we need a master. It needs to be Jesus Christ. I wonder, will you believe that he alone can meet all your needs? That he alone the master can meet all your needs and the needs of others. Amen. When we get caught up, don't we believe in that it's up to us to meet everyone's needs? I get frustrated trying to meet needs. I lose my mind trying to meet needs sometimes. When it's all said and done, I can't meet them. God may choose to use me as a tool, But the fact is, is that he is the need meter. He's the only one that can truly do this in our lives. You ever try to offer comfort to somebody who just lost a loved one? It's it's a noble attempt. But no words that we can say can remove the pain, the hurt, and the heartache that's felt. They appreciate the fact that we care. They appreciate that we say things like, I just want to offer my condolences and let you know that I'll be praying for you and your family. They, they, I, I believe people, believers, appreciate that much. But the hurt, the only one that can heal the hurt, the only one that can truly make the change inside is the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, will you cry out to the Master? Will you believe that He alone can meet all your needs? Will you humble yourself before Him by recognizing His superiority? his authority, and his power in your life. Hey, we're soldiers. And like that that centurion, he made his way to Jesus, even though Jesus was not a popular man amongst the Gentiles, especially the Roman soldiers. And there he comes to Jesus, and he recognizes that he is master, and he realizes he's the only one that can meet my need, and I'm going to humble myself before him. I'll do whatever it takes. Well, we're soldiers, Well, we do the same in every circumstance and situation. You know, Jesus would go on to further demonstrate His authority and power before the people by, as we mentioned already, healing this centurion servant from a distance. But He also raised Peter's mother-in-law. He also said, peace be still and calm the storms. He also cast out demons in the same chapter. His power is limitless. His authority is beyond anything we can imagine. He's so far beyond us. Again, if you have any doubts that Jesus Christ is master, you and I simply need to consider his unlimited power over creation and Satan. You can trust and believe in him, you truly can. You see, the only thing that really holds up you and I from submitting to Christ as master by, it keeps us from believing in him completely is a lack of humility. That's really all it is. It's pride. Will you cry out to your master, acknowledging him as authority? You're the superior beyond and above you, it's not a put down. That's not being put down. That's being liberated. When you identify Christ as your master, my friend, all of a sudden you are liberated. Will you believe he alone can meet all your needs? And Finally, will you humble yourself before him and recognize his superiority, authority, and power in your life? Today, there may be someone in our crowd that you've been in church for years. You grew up maybe even in a Christian home. But as you grew up, you kind of started taking control of your life a little bit. You started making decisions in your life without conferring within. You made a few changes in direction. You said, you know... I, I, I remember going to some youth rallies and I remember uh, hearing some preaching and I remember that God began tugging on my heart to be given completely to Him, whether it be in the ministry, whether it just be serving faithfully in the local church, but somehow, some way, I've allowed myself to stray. I've made some decisions on my own because I know they don't align with Scripture because He tells me that I ought to be in God's house consistently, continually. I ought to be in God's Word always. I ought to be on my knees praying all the time. I've got to be doing all those things and yet I find myself not doing them. My friend, may I just kindly say, it appears to me that you have taken the reins, you have assumed control, that somehow you have become master of your own domain. And may I say that that's not a recipe for success in the Christian life. You may be able to get away with that if you're lost today. And if you're in the room today, by all means, you need to take control in one sense because that's all you know. You have no other means by which to To lean. All you have is Satan telling you what to do, pulling the strings. And my friend, let me tell you, he'll let you think you're doing well because as long as you're doing it without God, he's very happy. But if you're a believer, you can't get away with that. You know there's something missing in your life. You know there's a void that exists. You know that you're not happy and content as you ought to be. You recognize there's joy missing in your life. Why don't you just say, Jesus, Master. Today, maybe you are lost. You don't know Christ as your Savior. You've gone through life, and to this point, you've never received and accepted Him as your Lord. Well, you need to do that. (laughs) This life is not forever. It was just last Wednesday night, not this past, but a week ago Wednesday, that I got a phone call when I got home from church about a young man that's 16 years of age in our church that was going to have to have brain surgery. He developed, get this, a sinus infection. It turned into a blood clot in his brain. He then was forced to have brain surgery, remove the cranium from his head. And there that night, we heard the report from the doctor. Or actually, it was that morning. And they had a picture of his brain and there he, they, the doctor showed us his brain, mom, brother and sister-in-law who were kind of caring for him. And they said, here, look at his brain. And can I tell you that the news was not good that night? It's only by the grace of God that he's starting to recover now, slowly, very slowly. We're still not sure if he'll ever regain the use of one side. We're not 100% sure if he'll ever be able to function normally as we understood it prior to. We don't know yet 100%. We know that God's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We know this and we believe this. But for to take Life for granted is a very dangerous game to play. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, can I encourage you, can I just plead with you to trust Christ today because He is worthy of your trust. Accept Him as your Savior and your Lord today. Don't leave here without a confidence that He is your Lord, Savior, and Master and that heaven will be your home one day because of your faith in Him, not because of anything you could do, but because of everything He's already done for you on Calvary by paying for your sin this morning. Let's get some things settled. Let's get back to ground zero. Let's begin to build on a foundation. If the foundation has been a little bit muddied, let's clear it off and start fresh and anew today. Jesus says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let's present ourselves to the master today if we know Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I want to begin rebuilding on that foundation. I'm going to wipe away things that I've started building on my own, that wood, hay, stubble. I want you to take charge today. And if you don't know Christ, say, Master, you're my only hope of escaping the penalty of sin, which is death and separation from you forever in a place called the lake of fire. I want your forgiveness. I want your mercy, and I beg you for your grace. Receive and accept me today as your son, your daughter today. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you've done for us. We are so grateful, Father, for your grace, your mercy, and your love. Today in our midst, Father, there's needs that need met. There might even be a physical need that's weighing heavy on a life that knows you, I pray that they, like the centurion, would recognize that you can and will meet every need in our life according to your will, that you will step up the game, that you'll work it out, that you will somehow be there for us even when it appears that there is no hope. Father, be glorified now in our lives. There may be someone without Christ in our midst. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please, no one looking around, let me ask you, do you know for sure heaven's your home today? Can you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, say, oh, I know. I know heaven's my home. I remember trusting Christ. I remember receiving him into my life and inviting him as my Savior. If you couldn't say that with confidence, would you let me pray for you today? Could I, would you be so bold to literally raise a hand and ask for prayer today? Could I, could I ask you to do that? Preacher, I can't honestly say for sure heaven's my home, and as every head is bowed and every eye is closed except yours, preacher, I'm going to admit that I don't have that settled. Will you pray for me? Anybody like that? I'll pray for you. Will will you let me do that with an uplifted hand? Will you let me pray for you? Okay. Let me ask you this. You're a child of God then. Who's your master today? I didn't ask who saved you. Who do you believe should be mastered? I didn't ask that. Who is your master today? Who gives the orders in your life? Who sets the course? Who sets the direction in your life? Who makes the decisions in your life? It's time that we clear the foundation and begin to rebuild again, starting with your master, starting with I believe, and I'm going to humble myself before you today. Father, bless us now in this time of invitation. May your people make decisions that will transform and change their lives and impact the lives of others around them for eternity. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.